0: Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers, aimed to give you the story behind the story. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes that led to the writing of these books. If you're a reader with a
1: zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer.
2: When Secrets Become Stories by Sun Yati South Africa is a country at war with its women. Rarely a woman can be found who has not been the victim of some kind of abuse or does not know a friend or a family member who has. Gender-based violence takes many different forms. Emotional, financial, physical, sexual and structural. It can be meted out by strangers, intimate partners or a family member. In When Secrets Become Stories, women from all walks of life, across all racial lines, age and income demographics, boldly speak out. Many women are overcome by a sense of shame when they are sexually or emotionally abused. But sharing what was once a secret helps to break shame's hold. And that is why these true stories must be told. Lorraine Setole will be in conversation with author and editor of When Secrets Become Stories, Sue Nyati. They are joined by three contributors, Kathy Ann Park, Desiree Martin and Melody Sondo.
0: Just to start off, I would just like to warn everybody who has logged on that we will be discussing gender-based violence and rape and sexual assault. So... Please, if you feel it would be traumatizing to you, um, you may want to log off. Um, to kick off, I just want to thank all our participants for their for being here, and for their very moving and powerful stories, um, which are yeah, I found quite amazing. And I think to start, I just want each of our contributors to tell us about their pieces, give us a short synopsis of what they are. And Robin, I'm gonna start with you. If you could just tell us a bit about Because.
3: Um, So Because is the story of uh, when I was 18, I I was raped by an acquaintance of mine. And it kind of is an exploration of the reasons Possibly that I told myself why it happened at the time that it happened and then how those reasons changed into why I eventually spoke about what happened and and how I've had to kind of rebuild who I am in spite of it and, and realize that there's nothing that anyone ever does that warrants anything like that happening to them. Or, you know, there's nothing a woman can do that would mean that she deserves that. Um, so it's just a meditation on all the things that have to do with, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves as women um, when it happens to us and all the different things that society tells us in terms of laying the blame. And um, yeah, eventually it does end with the notion that even if it happens to one woman, that's one woman too many. And even if you only say no once, that's enough.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Robin. Um, Sinzini, I'm going to move to you. And if you could give us... Um, bit of a synopsis of the weight of my wounds, which is a great title, by the way.
4: Um Thank you, Pamela. So my story is around body shaming. Um you know i I've always grown up being a woman who has a a wage problem, and um in in my story, I relate how somebody tried to use money and just be able to to abuse me about my weight and as well as about not being able to have children as well. So it's carrying that weight around and just being a woman and not being able to have children, but somebody actually abusing me emotionally about it and particularly about my weight. And it's something that even after having experienced that with the particular person that I speak about in the book, I experienced it uh, not so long ago again online and, um, you know, it's somebody still asking to say, oh, I've seen your, your face. You've got a very pretty face, but what do you look like? And, and, and what's the other half of you like, you know? So I'm a woman who carries a lot of weight in the lower part of my body. And um, it's having to live through that, which can be quite um, emotionally wrecking and draining. So really... My story is around the body shaming and also just being able to live with the fact that um, as a woman you can't have a child and a man uses that against you.
0: Mm, so there they are many different kinds of abuse. Thanks, Zinzini. And Lee, over to you. My apologies if you if hear
5: dragging. this. someone upstairs dragging furniture. So my apologies if you hear it.
0: That's um, fine.
5: Thank you for this opportunity to share and Sinzeni and Robin and Sue and Pamela, thank you that we can be together this evening. I uh, My story is varied, I was adopted and then abused by a family member and then um, date-raped as an adult and so sexuality and and belonging were two things that were very uncomfortably married in my life. And mm-hmm. um, I maladaptively sought through being promiscuous on the back end of being raped and molested as a way of seeking belonging and um it's been it's been such a beautiful journey to come to a place where um I'm grateful for what happened to me because a I can sit in rooms like this and be in books like ours and and hold space for other voices that are that are voiceless that feel scared mm-hmm. to speak about what happened to them uh and to be a a beacon of hope for and like Roman said despite what happened that i thrive and that i still be the person that i am and that i can be uh yes sure i'm not saying it's condoning it i'm not saying yay it's okay there's a gift in it and everyone's gonna be okay so it's, like it's, no like it should stop mm-hmm. Um, and that's why this is this is so valuable, you know, this platform. But I am here to say that if it does happen, it's there. There is a gift in it if you are willing to be honest with yourself and uh, courageous. And I'm grateful to have had that opportunity in my life. So
3: thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay, Sue over to you now. And um, I want to know about how this book came about. And I want to know what creative nonfiction is. So yeah, tell us.
1: (laughs) Okay, so good evening, everyone. And well, thank you for coming, you know, to our first conversation around when secrets become stories, women speak out. So like I, I explained in the introduction, the evolution of this book I mean was inspired by my own personal trauma and i I was sexually abused as a child and for a long time i didn't know what that was until i read about it in the book you know i didn't have the language to articulate what had happened to me and i remember the shock and horror when reading about it and then the disgust you know to think you know i kept a dirty secret this you know this is something that happened to me how could i allow it to happen to me Yet knowing that I had no control over that. And so, you know, I you know, I, I decided like most people, you know, you you live with the, the shame, you know, you internalize it. And it's only as I grew older, you know, um, I got courage to speak out when first I read about it again in another book um, by Rami, right? And mm. remember. And it, it it sort of gave me courage. I even texted her when I remember reading it and, you know, saying this happened to you. It also happened to me. So, and then every then Me Too happened, you know, and then I realized that, you know what? I'm not an anomaly. Actually, a lot of women have, you know, suffered the same fate as as I have, or even worse. But nonetheless, we've suffered some sort of, you know, trauma. And so that gave me more courage to speak out. And, you know, finally during the... 16 Days of Activism uh, Campaign Against Gender-Based Violence. And I was invited to speak at a corporate event on overcoming shame. And I spoke, you know, to an audience of people I didn't know about my own, you know, walk, you know, through the abuse and, you know, living with it and now speaking about it. It didn't own me. I, you know, I own the experience now. And, you know, once it's out there, it's out there. It doesn't control you anymore. And... By speaking, there were other women in the audience who were affected by what I said. And, you know, another woman took my testimony and began her own personal journey towards healing. So you see, it gave her courage. So I I realized that, you know, there's power in the spoken word. Um, And I have this platform. I mean, I write, I can use that, you know, and hopefully, you know, know, more women will read about it. They'll realize, okay, this is not actually, you know, something I need to be ashamed of. Someone else has gone through the very same thing and that she be able to empower them, you know, and give mm-hmm. them courage. They're not alone. So then, you know, I decided, you know, let me, you know, put a book together, you know, and it has to be real life accounts because I feel like when you fictionalize things, you romanticize them, you know, it's like, and someone tosses aside and say, okay, but it's just a book, you know, it's just fiction. But if it's, you know, someone's real life story, it it, it has more strength, you know, although it makes it tougher, I think, for, you know, people reading it, but mm. there's, you know, it's, there's more, there's credibility, because, you know, you can see, okay, I, I saw Robin, she went, you know, she she survived it, she's here today, she's not, you know, she's not the girl who was raped, that happened to, it doesn't define her, and I think that's very important, you know, in, in telling these stories, okay, and so, you know this is how the book came about and I was like you know we're gonna do this we'll put you know these <laughs> accounts together and creative nonfiction well you know to storyify it basically you it's still it's still nonfiction but it's told in a story form because you also want you know people to be it's easily consumed in that form as well so yeah so you, you
0: know, so you want to you want a kind of a structure and whatever yeah yeah and Sue, so, so you both contributed and you edited. And I want to know just from a process point of view, which did you enjoy? What did you prefer? Am I gonna get you in trouble with any uh publishers? No.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I think it was it was interesting wearing the editing hat. And I think it's something I do actually enjoy. I think my personality lends to it. You know, I I'm a natural nitpicker, you know. <laughs> and yeah, so I enjoyed it. it was, you know, um, I, I enjoyed the experience. So, you know, I still like writing. I mean, I enjoy writing. I mean, I, I did write some of the other stories. I mean, not all of the stories were written. Some were, were told to me through voice notes, recording. <laughs> so I wrote them, but yeah, I, I still, yeah, I, 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 I like the editor hats as well, you know? Um, and I think maybe later I will grow into it. And, and it's something I could possibly do if I tire of writing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you'd be great. Uh you, you had your hand up there.
5: Yes, I just wanted to acknowledge that Sue had written my story. Uh, it was so painful for me that I've tried over the years to write it. And then Sue said, Well, why don't you why don't you dictate, why don't you tell me the story and then I'll write it? So I'm very grateful to Sue that she's given me the opportunity to tell my story. I don't have to worry about the grammar. <laughs> and it's relevant I could just tell my story and be and she wrote such she wrote it so beautifully so I just want to publicly say
1: thank you Sue for writing. No it's a pleasure I think that's the thing with, with yeah with such things is that I didn't want not every woman who has had trauma is a writer so I think it's very important that we still give them a voice you don't have to be a writer to have a story so that's why mm-hmm. I felt, you know, no one should be, you know, excluded, and not every writer has had a traumatic experience. So it works both ways. So I didn't want, you know, to exclude anyone on the on those grounds. So you know, as long as someone had a story, you know, I I was willing to listen to it.
0: Although I think I think you're bringing up an interesting point there, Sue. Um, don't we think that actually, if we ask most women, most women do have a story and Robin I'd just like to bring you in there I don't know what you think about that
3: yeah so um this what happened to me happened when I was 18 and I was going into university and through conversations with people where I wasn't really telling them what had happened to me but I was trying to at the same time because I I was still in denial in various ways and I think that I felt that if I just didn't name it, it wasn't real. And these are all part of the things that you tell yourself. But through those conversations, um, it struck me that out of the many women that I knew, and and it's, it's continued since then over the last decade, but out of the many women that I knew and got to know, there were more women that these kinds of things happened to than not. And I can tell you right now in all honesty that it's probably on one hand that I can count the number of women I know who haven't had a story like this, or possibly what's happened to them they feel isn't bad enough um, to be considered some kind of trauma or harassment or assault. So I think what, you know, having this experience and learning to write about it and learning to talk about it, because I do tweet a lot about it, <laughs> um, I think and that's what's all actually- Yes, exactly. that's, that's how I found
1: Robin.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's Twitter. Yeah. time on Twitter. It's justified. Exactly. It brought Sue into my life, and that's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. So, Twitter's not all that. Um, but definitely, it's it struck me that more often than not, the stories that our stories aren't rare, and that is devastating and it's it's just something that if you you know if you actually could grasp the amount of women who struggle with something just in numbers it would just completely overwhelm and and you have to you have to find some sense of hope otherwise you know we're all just going to sit down and accept this is the way the world is and it absolutely should not be
0: no no okay since i want to bring you in here because you know reading your story uh I was so moved, and and also angry, um, that bit where Sia um, brings the size 34 designer, I mean, that was just, yeah, I just wanted to punch him in the face, like, immediately, um, and then I needed to go meditate, and I was fine, but how was it for you writing the story? You know, were you happy to be included in the anthology, or was it very painful what was it like for you
4: so Pamela it was a very painful journey for me and um, writing sort of became an outlet for me in in essence I had written that story over many 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 times before Sue actually approached me to 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 you know to share this and, and become part of the anthology mm-hmm. I had actually written this over and over and over and over again and i have folders on my phone where i've written this to myself to say that it actually is okay and i think that when the person in the story came to me um, in 2019 and i was in cape town and he managed to trace me down and he looked for me because According to him, now I was a very successful person and I was doing very well in my career. He found that it was actually okay for him to to come and start talking to me. And he still had the nerve to say to me, and this is when I realized I actually had not healed because he said to me, oh my goodness, you've lost so much weight. And, and I had actually lost a lot of weight, but for me, the pain was in the fact that he still related to me through my weight again you know why is this got to be the first thing that you say to me again oh you've lost a lot of weight but i must thank him though because i i went on a journey many years because i'm what i'll be turning 48 soon and this happened to me probably 10 years ago Mm -hmm. and yes i know everybody always says are you truly 48 this year and yes in two months (laughs) so, so I went on a journey where in 2013 I, I mean I used to play sport and do everything but in my adult life I actually wasn't very active so I actually went on a very brave journey in 2013 and I hired a personal trainer and I think Pamela you've seen me at gym as well and looking impressive thank you very much so i must actually thank the personal trainer madland lego because and we call him the beast at 365 training he got me to accept my body and actually made me realize that there was so much more that i could do with my body and that it wasn't only about how your body looks and i'm actually beginning to allow me to cry So I think he played a very very instrumental journey in in ensuring that I began to accept my body because I actually realized all the limitations that I placed on it were not necessary because I could do so much more. And when I focused on being healthy, having a healthy heart, being fit and, and, and being able to move and do much more, I began to enjoy... Um, exercising I began to start watching what I eat um, and and the weight began to fall off and right now I actually don't focus on my weight and I enjoy dressing for my body I always say and I laugh about it and say you know what I inherited a big bum from somewhere in my heritage you know and I'm quite happy with it so I will wear what I feel I'm comfortable in and what I feel makes me feel beautiful so um it it was a journey that i went through and 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 i used to share the story with my trainer and we'd talk about it so sometimes a very painful journey leads you to a very beautiful um ending in all of this so um yeah so that's that's how i i i believe that the person who body shamed me really made me have the courage to say you know what I can do something else, you know, and I can I can learn to live with my body and appreciate it and appreciate who I am and, and just appreciate that God makes us all so different um, and that we all would never look the same. So the world can't only have skinny women and skinny women, it doesn't necessarily mean that if women are skinny, they have very good hearts because you can actually find beautiful love with a woman who is much bigger and, she would love a man to a point where he's really just a much happier person so I'm happy that I can move my body that I'm flexible and I actually enjoy going to gym so if anyone followed me on Instagram or Facebook you'd realize I do spend a lot of time exercising not because I want to be skinny but because I really do enjoy it
0: no you love it and we you know we can see that <laughs> I think the point is though also this: this body shaming for skinny women as well you know, yeah. it, women can't win. So that's why we actually have to make peace with ourselves because I, I don't think you can win either way. Lee, I want to talk to you now. I was, I, I actually said to Sue, I, I cried for young Sue and I cried for um, young Lee as well with the sexual abuse you both went through. Um yeah, wanted to punch your aunt in the face too. Had to deal with a lot of anger reading this. Um and I I just I, I want you to talk about the women who enable male abusers, Lee, because you definitely had that in your life and how that affected you. I
5: am so thrilled that you're asking me that question, Pamela, because we live in a in a world where we, So many of us are angry at the patriarchy, but we don't understand that each of us, I might represent as a woman, but I have masculine and feminine traits within me. Mm -hmm. So um, I can be a toxic patriarchal figure because I have those energies within me. And so that was the gift that I learned from being with toxic women that were that were actually toxic masculine within them, that were trying to hide and make okay um, what their men were doing. I'm um, do not
0: believing you, you know, not yeah, believing I mean,
5: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's so sad. Like, if I go back and I, if I have to, so those that don't know, um, I was molested by a family uh, member um, due to legal reasons. He uh, wasn't... he wasn't prosecuted so i can't say exactly who it was um but i told my aunt and she said that i was lying and um if i have to come like if i have to elevate myself out of the situation and hold compassion for her that i wonder what was going on for her that she felt and she's a deep feminist i mean if you met her you could you wouldn't you wouldn't believe me because she is a massive feminist and um, to this day, we will find reasons for um, for calling me a liar because it's so, it's such a, it's such a, I don't know, it's such a shameful thing for her. Um, and I just have to hold space for what has happened to her, for her to have done that. You know, if I if I take me out and I just think of what is it mm. in her that that. Like, I don't know, maybe it happened to her as well, you know. Maybe the same person did something mm-hmm. toward to her and she couldn't speak about it. And so I'm not justifying it, I'm not making it okay. I'm no, just saying, we need to have compassion for all parts of it, you know. Um, um,
0: I, but I also do think it is that thing of, you know, people... People don't. It's it's not something you want to accept. You know, we want to think about the um, the stranger in the alleyway. You know, we don't want to think that it's um, that nice uncle or you know, Robin, that lovely private school boy or you know, whatever. We and, and if you think about it yourself. Um, if you think about your own partner or whatever, would you want to ever admit or acknowledge or accept? You you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't want to. It would be a very, very hard thing to do. So, I mean, I completely hear what you're saying in in terms of that. And, and Robin, I just want you to come in there on the the idea. Well, in fact, both ideas, not being believed, the lovely private school boy, if you can just talk to us about that. Yeah, so, I
3: mean... I think that was part of what made it really tricky for me to diagnose for myself what it was that I had experienced because, um, you know, he got 10 A's in Matric and he was this tall, athletic, charming, intelligent guy. And to have a crush on someone who then takes advantage in a way of the proximity you're willing to put yourself. At with relation to them, um, you know, we grow up watching Hollywood films, and the bad guy looks like the bad guy. And you read, you read fairy tales, and the big bad wolf is a big bad wolf, and no one ever warned me that the guy who's sitting in my extra maths class is the one that I should be afraid of you know and Mm -hmm. the one thing I always say to people online is if you can give me a book or or a checklist that explains to me how to tell other women who they should be afraid of who they should avoid then I will stop saying that it could be any man. But no one can give me that because it doesn't exist. It's fathers, it's brothers, it's best friends, it's sons in some cases, it's it's any man at any moment in our lives in any context. Mm-hmm. And you know, every man almost has that implicit threat within him. And I don't feel bad saying that a man has to prove to me that I'm safe in his company because unfortunately the world has proven to me that I'm not. So, and on the on the topic of not being believed, you know that's part of why it took me four years to say anything because I thought people would look at me and they would look at him and they would go, "That's not a rapist." And you were at that party. You drove there to that party. He invited you to that party, and you said yes. And when he kissed you, you kissed him back. So it's all these aspects where we we almost look at our own behavior, and we go, "What did I do?" And what should I do that was unacceptable? Whereas everything that is unacceptable is these men who are doing that. It's these men who are taking advantage of us and forcing themselves on our kindness and on society's decision to raise us all very politely, you know, to nod and smile when we say no and to say no thank you and to respect all of these requests that get made of us. And I think in a way it almost turns us into these, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say that we're being raised to be t- to be victims. We're not, um, but there are just these sort of behavioral aspects to being a woman um, that do make us. No, a-
0: no. I mean, I completely hear you. I, I, when I first moved up to Jo'burg I was held at gunpoint at home, and um, and I remember like the guns sort of pointing at my head. And <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to laugh, but it was funny because I was like trying to scream, but it was like, it felt impolite. Like it was, you know, so it was like my voice, it took a while and I was like, God, I'm a, you know, I'm a drama, I'm an actor. Like I should be able to sort of project my voice at this point, you know, so it was sort of quite funny. So I think we all have that where you, there's that sense of disbelief. Is this person actually doing this to me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to come to grips with that and then to be able to react I don't know. See you nodding there.
2: Come yeah,
1: in there. I mean, it, it's always like that. And then you 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 want them to acknowledge what they've done, like they've done something wrong, and they don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we transfer the guilt and the recrimination to ourselves, because it never comes from them. You know, so you you, you take on that blame and say, so it, it, it clearly it must have been my fault because why doesn't this person take you know accountability for their actions? And mm-hmm. yeah, like Robin says, you know, they're not written on the head, you know, like abuser. I mean, if it came with the no, tag, even not, on the yeah, ear, it's, it, so it, it, it's so yeah. much easier. So I think it's realizing that any man, at any point, can you know move, cross that thin line, and and become an abuser. And I think because a lot of abuse happens privately, it's privatized. You know, um, people then think it's a private issue. You know. Um, it, it doesn't happen in the public domain, so which makes it more difficult to persecute. Because especially the abuse that takes place in the home, you know, um, it's it, it's it's tough, and that's where a lot of it takes place.
0: Yeah, it's so, Behind closed doors, so nobody nobody can see. Okay, let's chat a bit about um, the dangers of social media. Um, in my email to you guys, I was calling it it's, it's social media is a playground for predators. Yeah. So yeah, I mean and I think you know, also those of us with younger kids or whatever, it's it is very concerning. Um, yeah, who wants to chip in there? I so think are, we have I'll start opinion
2: opinion.
5: Okay.
4: may I jump so, in? okay i'll start thanks lee i'll start so so i so pamela yeah so one of the things that i found is you always get this whole inbox dm story men come at you i've had several come at me and just even for someone to still want to come out and still body shame me on, on a platform like Twitter which I sometimes say Twitter can be so vile, Twitter can be so yeah. bad and 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 the thing is I, I had not even indicated to him that I wanted to even chat to him, you know, it was like hello, how are you and I responded hello, I'm fine, I thought he would ask any other question and he says you're a beautiful woman and I say thank you and and then he says will you send me a full length picture and he sends me his and I'm like no but well, because I didn't think we were at that stage, because why should I be sharing my picture with a stranger and I don't really know who you are? Mm. And the next thing was like, which part of your body is big? And I thought, huh? So uh, where is this coming from? And um, and then I said, no, I'm not. I'm actually not going to speak to you. And I blocked that person. But I think what people don't realize is how much emotionally damaging some of the things that men say to women can be somebody can say something to you like really are you are you irritated by the fact that he thinks you're fat why don't you just lose weight it's just not as easy as that and sometimes our women who are supposed to be supporting us as as, as women as well are the very same people who are the ones that will you know will will drive the message home and they're the ones that will make the emotional abuse feel even bad and to your point earlier on so when i got a dress size 34 and i'm a size 40 it broke my heart i just yeah. stood there and I said could you really do this to me i mean mm-hmm. i could never fit into this dress i last probably fitted into a dress that size maybe when i was 16 but you know how does that happen and people don't actually realize the scars that you carry all your life Um, and I was one ever ever a person who said I would never ever go for therapy but I did find myself going for therapy and working through it and it's something that that really you know that really helps but unfortunately social media is a place where some of these men are actually cowards I say because then they're able to come onto social media And they're able to actually say what they want to say to you on social media, because there's this thing that is blocking, there's this screen, there's everything else. Because I always say, and I said to this guy, so why don't you come and tell me that in person? And, you know, that was the last of our conversation, because I really wanted to ask him to say, so whatever. So which part of me is big and what do you want to do with it? But. A lot of men I find who are abusers, whether they abuse women emotionally or physically, are actually cowards and they can't face those very same women and just sort of say to them, let's have a chat. So a lot of men are using social media now to actually just go out there and really abuse people. Or actually, it's it's a way of also getting to women through that um, because uh-huh. they have a way of getting to you and you eventually say yes and then you meet up with them and then it turns out into something else and you actually find that they're very abusive and it's actually very sad because social media is a place sometimes I think in some instances some of us do find healing in social media because there are people who are kind but I think there's more cruel than kind people on social media and that's actually very sad.
0: Mm, block the block button is your friend. No, yeah, and I absolutely. mean there are good things about it. Um, exactly. Sue and I met on social media. Cindini, I think you and I met on social. You media. You and I met on
4: social media too. Absolutely, yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs>
5: yeah. Okay, so, yeah,
4: you wanted to say something.
5: I, you know, being being a woman in my power, in my sexual power, and sexualizing myself is yet. So it's something that I really want to bring to the fore here. Uh-huh. I'm 47, and when apartheid fell, the flood of pornographic material that and, and the advent of the internet and women finding their power collided. And uh-huh. there's this really, may I swear?
0: Sue, you're the boss yeah. lady, it's not swear?
5: This yeah. really <laughs> fucked up notion. This really fucked up notion that being in your sexual power means you've got to throw pornographic poses. So uh-huh. whether one is skinny or fat, I find them both offensive, both terms offensive. But no matter what one looks like, that's not really where our power lies. Our power lies in the spirit of who we are. Now social uh-huh. media has got a very dangerous lens because body dysmorphia is probably one of the biggest problems we have around the world. Now body dysmorphia, for those that don't know, is the idea, literally the way that we see ourselves. So people who are super skinny might see themselves as super overweight and those that are overweight might see themselves as super skinny and all the different variations in between. So, I think what I'd really like to speak to about social media is, girls, please, like being half-clad on social media, be in a pornographic pose, does not mean that you are sexually empowered. No. For me, all you're doing is putting yourself out there as a sexual object for people to masturbate to. Excuse me, being blunt. But I think that it's important to Thanks understand.
2: That,
5: Sorry, but I work in this field. I work with sex yeah. addicts. I work with people who are traumatized yeah. by sexual abuse, and I really I feel very passionate about passionate about where our true empowerment lies. Our true empowerment does not look like, doesn't lie in what we look like. It lies in the spirit of the grace that we are. So I'm glad that you brought up the social media thing because I'm like your girlfriends. Like, no,
1: no, like,
5: that's not empowerment. That's not female empowerment in like, being in a bra and panties. Like I don't know. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So, has somebody else got a different opinion?
1: Sue, I completely sound- totally agree with you saying, you know, the beauty and power of us is within. It's inside. It's who you are. But the way social media is set up, it doesn't entertain, you know, your internal. It's more about external. And that's why people you know it's all about the facade projecting you know that you know outward appearances that's what it's about it doesn't celebrate the inner strength you know you know your your inner beauty that's not what social media is about and i think that's the problematic side of of social media i my my weariness comes from because we live amongst predators right you know they're everywhere they're also on social media so like you say, you know, there are people who are there in social media using it for positive, a positive and meaningful way. And then there are those who are coming down to download your pics, to masturbate, you know, um, looking at your pics, um, which those, those are the kind of things that make me uncomfortable, you know, you know, the end, you know, cause it's huge. I mean, your, your pictures will end up anyway. And mm-hmm. for me, that's the concern. I mean, I, I guess a lot of people, it doesn't matter, but for me, I, I don't know, I'm more protective. Over the self, as opposed yeah. to you know, um, well,
3: you know it doesn't myself. even have to. It doesn't even have to be your pictures. So, I, I am, um, I, <laughs> I had a very interesting experience on social media. It started last year and and extended into this year, where I had a, you know, I had a stalker, effectively, and a and a harasser who he would take my cell phone number and put it next to pictures of naked women that he'd found online and he would offer them free offer people free sex so i would get phone calls at all times of the day and he would create fake twitter accounts saying that i was a fake rape victim um he would email people that i know he would email my work he would do all sorts of things and it got to the point where i eventually had to get a protection order but It doesn't actually, it doesn't mean that I'm safe because it's all digital. Everything he's ever done to me is digital and he can create more fake profiles and keep doing it. So, you know, I did it because I, you know, someone said to me, having a paper trail and a formal um, protection order, if something, if it escalates is a good idea, but it doesn't mean it's stopped. And it's, the, it's these men who hide behind anonymous accounts and feel entitled to your time and your attention and your information and your life. I've had men say that, oh, she's depressed and she's not over her rape, so any man should avoid her. And it's just, whoever these men are, who think that they are able to make a comment on who I am and what I am and how I am, I mean, it just blows my mind the sense of entitlement that people being online seem to have when it comes to commenting on other people.
0: Mm, mm, mm. I think let's get to the point now where we talk. What are the solutions? So, is it about how we raise our sons? Is it about empowering daughters? What what you know? What what solutions have we got there, Robin? I'm going to start with you.
3: Yeah. So. Being a little bit obsessive, I do do a lot of research into interventions when it comes to gender-based violence because I just keep telling myself, you know, there has to be something we can do. There has to be tried and tested methods that make this better because every year, it just feels like it's getting worse. And if it's not getting worse, it's staying the same because every year I go to a protest against gender-based violence and I've been doing that since I was 18 and I'm still doing it. So, you know, I, I do a lot of research into actual, Things like um, the Kailicha Lighting Project, or the fact that they've done studies where, if women had access to public toilets that were, you know, well kept, they had good lighting, they had locks on the door, it would literally reduce incidents of sexual harassment. So we've got solutions like that where it's, if you do X, then that's kind of what you'll get. And and I I feel upset when. The Kylie Lighting project was they did it in, they first did the study in 2013 and they still haven't had the amount of money they need allocated in order to effectively pull it off. So the government and whoever's in power has been given a solution where they're saying this is a solution and this will help people and they're not prioritizing it. So that for me is really upsetting. But I think there is a cultural there's a cultural aspect and a societal aspect to the abuse and the power structure because you know rape is about power and it's about Mm -hmm. it's about so many things so whatever it was you know how do you look at a man like the man who raped me and go oh there was something in his upbringing that led him to think that was okay how do you pinpoint that Mm -hmm. I think that you know giving women platforms like this to speak out helps I think it's so Mm -hmm. important and that's why I'll forever be grateful to see you for for, have, for for thinking of this book and, and getting us involved with the project. But, you know, I don't know how we start to change the cultural and societal aspects of this.
0: I think I do believe with um, society, with boys, I think we need to move away from boys don't cry. I think boys need to be allowed yeah, yeah. to be vulnerable. I think particularly in all-male schools where... You know my son made a comment to me that you know boys schools are about bullying and exclusion, and that was his comment so i think I think we we'll both win if our boys are raised to be softer you know so okay i've got I've got Jen here Jen's saying we've got a question um okay, no, we can talk for another two minutes uh, another well, ten Pamela, minutes
5: i've got a I've got a very controversial. Uh, a stance on this, right?
0: I would be disappointed if you didn't. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so, I've I've done some studies, and I've reckoned where is it as mothers have can we learn and grow and be different? And if I look at the entitlement that the the the, the masculine uh, uh, portrays, and I hate the generalisation, but if you allow me to generalise then I have to look at what is it that mothers have been doing generally. And I'd like to think that we're part of the self-care revolution where mothers are starting to say, hey, I've got to put the mask on me first before I can be there for you. Now, Mm. I know my mom and my mom's mom and my granny, their mantra was everybody before me everybody before me and I think that instilled in our boy children and girl children because I work with men that have been raped as children and molested as children it's not just yeah. a girl thing right
2: yeah.
5: so my thing is about how do women start taking care of themselves first and, sh- and make that okay make it okay for us to take care of ourselves and that our children don't just get whatever they want from us whenever they want that we learn to teach them what boundaries are and most importantly what self-care is and obviously through that they'll learn self-soothing but entitled people have poor impulses which means that they grab and take what they want that's not
0: theirs i love that lee that's not wow. controversial I, yeah. at all,
3: that's that's controversial. all. That's i'm there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> i love that and in fact my sister and i were having this conversation about how we were brought up to serve i yeah. remember my mother yeah. actually cooking my then boyfriend now husband breakfast and she like jokes she went well you'll have to serve one day and i was like don't think so but guess what you know i i landed up serving so you know there you go okay who was coming in next day anybody so, else with some um, solutions
4: so, in there. so pamela for me um on the part of uh, about body shaming i think there's also a role that we as women have to play ourselves, because we also tend to body shame ourselves, um, and 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 we as women are our own biggest critics, and and we then allow men to do this. So, if we just say no, and 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 we, so if if a man is criticizing a woman's body, and it, it's really got to be up to me to say no to that man. Secondly, it's the media unfortunately the magazines and the televisions they all portray women who are successful and and who are loved and who are loving to be skinny women and everything else and and I think that they're not enough stories or love stories that really show couples that are very different you know so unfortunately the girl's always pretty and skinny and everything else and and I think that just allows us even as women to allow for it and I think that there isn't a lot that is put on, on emotional abuse. There's not enough talk about emotional abuse. So whenever we speak about gender-based violence, it's always about the physical and there's never enough about the emotional scars. So imagine I've had to live my life knowing that I can't have children and have men speak badly <laughs> about it. Is it also not possible for some men, I believe, you know they are the ones that are a problem in the relationship and can't have children. So we need to start teaching our boy kids from an early age. So I mean, like hands up and bravo to all the men that have bought um, our book um, you know, and have shared it with yeah. their because or they've shared it with their male friends, because in that way, um, we really teach the boy child and men. What is it that really affects women? I mean, one of the stories in the book is all about about men at work. And I think there's so many women out there who carry so many scars, um, you know, that they've received from men at work. But, you know, have these men ever been told about how to treat women? Because for some, I think it's just a second nature and they sometimes only realize it when you actually raise it and say but hang on do you realize that you're now offending me you are hurting me emotionally and for women working it's when you get back home and you sit back and you think about what somebody has said to you at work and especially Mm -hmm. a male and the worst is when there is another woman standing by watching so I think it first starts with us women Firstly, we need to believe the stories that someone tells you about abuse. And Mm. I can say this because when I read Sue's story and I actually called her, I was very sad because I had watched some of my own family members whilst I was growing up going through what she went through. But at the time, I didn't know what to say. I was young. But most certainly now, if it had to happen, I would be able to step in and I would be able to say, no, you can't actually do that to this person because what it actually does is you scar that woman for the rest of their lives. And then some women who deserve to be loved, and we all deserve to be loved, are then not able to be loved because they now don't trust men or they just don't feel that they can be around men and that men can actually love them because whatever they've grown up with has been that thing that men have just abused them and to them men are abusers. And I think that's very, very unfair. So I think this really starts in the beginning and it starts with both men and women. So we all have a part to play in stopping this abuse.
1: Yes. So so my take is that, you know, I think, you know, all the conversations we always have about, you know, gender-based violence, we never have men at the table. You know, it's always women leading the forums, you know, women's day, women's talks. It's always women. And we never have men at the table. And I think, you know, it's it's time we start holding men accountable we, we don't and men don't hold each other accountable you know for any you know violent behavior and it's i think we we keep blaming women like to say they moms are not raising the men right you know or there are they are women there are boys who are raised you know in good homes you know i mean if you look at it you know some family, other members of that same family turned up well but then you know you you find that that guy. So why are we blaming the mom? You know, I think at some point as as an adult you must take responsibility for your own actions. You can't keep saying, well it's because mom did A B C. No, at some point mm-hmm. it's no longer about what your mom did or what you did. You have to. You're an adult. You have to become responsible for your own actions. You know. So and maybe I, yeah,
0: maybe it is that. Maybe it is about going and I think also, you know, it is that thing of when we know better, we do better. So when when people understand that actually, you know, making a comment about our weights or whatever, 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 telling a rape joke, which, you know, I've heard sitting in a story meeting, um, is actually not okay. These things are just not okay. You know, whereas before, I think, you know, it was accepted. And I, I must admit, I don't know about all of you, but I kind of just got used to it. You just accepted it because that's how it was, you know. But I think we're at this point now where we're kind of going, no, actually, no, because it starts with these words. It starts with these words and these things being okay. And, you know, actually, it's not.
3: It's almost like we need to to extend that that theory around. They say that what actually diminishes crime is the certainty of being punished, not the severity of the punishment. And possibly it's about... It's having that culture where if you say things that are inappropriate or do things that are inappropriate, there's a certainty to the fact that you will receive a negative response. You will be socially ostracized. You will be, you know, in some way held accountable to your actions, to your choices, to your words. And possibly that's part of what's lacking, you know. Half the time when you see someone who is famous or of some sort of public a claim, if they come out about having a rape story or something, the timeline on Twitter is half divided between people saying, I do believe it and I don't, so we've got to get over that aspect, this isn't something for you to debate, this is someone's life, and so if they feel, everyone keeps saying, oh, all those women came out against Bill Cosby for the money, name one of those women. Name one of those women who came out and spoke against Bill Cosby, and I bet that you can't because none of them got money or fame from that. In fact, many of them had their lives ruined. So it's about, you know, we've got to stop building these narratives and letting these narratives that target the women and men who are brave enough to speak out. And we've just got to accept, like, someone is speaking their truth and we've got to support them. And anyone who does get, get, you know, if it does come out, that they have done something, how do we start making it that they do get some degree of repercussion for that?
0: Okay, well, I have to think... just read, yes. this, sorry, I've got to read this comment <laughs> yeah. from Leslie Porteous that says, bursting with pride rocks. Hi, Mom. I... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, Emily, can, I,
5: can I jump in here? Because I think it's really important that, that the... Okay. I, it's very
0: you know, easy for us to be soon, but yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. I'll be two seconds. It's very um, easy for us to sit here slating men. Number one, not all men do this. Number two, not all men are standing by and making this okay. I know um, some really beautiful, strong, powerful men. Shukri Tufi is one of them. He's amongst many who are out there writing articles, changing lives, changing cultures. There's a guy, I'm so embarrassed, I cannot remember his name now. His book is called The Manual. Man, it's thick like this about how to be a man. And he talks about going to brides and standing at brides. And if somebody goes, hey, uh, where's my wife? I want my salad. Huh? like That's not okay. And they talk around about that at the bride. So I don't want to perpetuate an old narrative that all men are rapists and all men don't give a. Because it's not true. There are some beautiful, mm-hmm. wonderful men out there that do not tolerate this behavior and that we need to bring on side to work with us with this.
0: Okay, that comment like, is too short. Somebody actually showed us what that Gavin
5: Sharples, what is. Gavin Sharples. Gavin Sharples,
4: Sharples
5: the you Thank you. Gavin Sharples, the manual. The second thing is that I don't believe the solution to... Sexual abuse is only punishment. In my work and in the research that I've done, trauma is generational. It gets passed on from generation to generation to generation. If we're only going to punish people for making mistakes, they're going to be stuck in trauma. We need to be taking a, a more proactive stance in offering education, coaching counseling therapy a compassionate approach to sexual abuse so that we can change the tide that's my
0: i love that thank you lee okay jennifer come back in and tell us the question hi so first of all for robin someone has made a comment i'm not sure if this oh that's the wrong one sorry this one erica says robin a friend of mine stalker is now in jail She's a lawyer, sure, but we learned some valuable lessons in the fight. So, if you want to take it further, get in touch. And that's a comment on Facebook. So um, perhaps after the launch, you can go and reply to that comment and get in touch. Um, that's wonderful. And
3: then, Thank
0: you. A, there was a quite a um, difficult question here. I'm not sure if anyone will have an answer, but I thought maybe we could just it could spark a bit of a oh. discussion. Barbara says, "I was molested and raped, and I froze." why did I not fight back? And I think that's a question that a lot of people ask themselves. And yeah. I think we'll add that to
5: Yeah. <laughs> so so there's a biologi- there are three biological responses we have as human beings. It's called the fight, flight or freeze. Those are biological, they are not thought through, they are part of the limbic system, which is the, the reptilian, the a- most ancient part of our brain and it has got nothing it bypasses thought. So there are some women that can fight. Ooh, I probably would have wanted to do that 20 years ago. Yes, so there's some of us that would have wanted to fight. There's some of us that froze, I froze. And there's some of us that run away. And part of the healing process that I've been through myself and with clients is to forgive ourselves for the biological response our bodies chose. And to know that you might have frozen in that moment, but it doesn't mean that you could stay frozen in the moment. You can take your power back, and therapy is part of that process.
0: Okay. Robin, do you want to add
3: to that? Yeah, I was actually, I was thinking a lot about um, a, a girl that I spoke to once about what happened to her, and she said that one of the things that she was most confused about is that there were still physiological responses, normal physiological responses, such as, you know, she – lubrication when she was raped and she was confused by that because there was this element of logically understanding that what was happening to you was assault and it was completely wrong and she felt betrayed by her body and it also caused a lot of doubt where she went did i actually want it and i've now made it bigger than it is and and i think what we've got to do is as women we've got to talk about those things because we've also got to understand to Lee's point there are these biological responses that are going to happen and you are not responsible for them and they do not in any way imply consent and nor do they imply that what happened to you is what you were asking for or that you enjoyed it. But you know it's about we've got to remove the shame and the guilt that we associate to those things because they hold so much power in terms of keeping women silent.
1: Mm. And okay. I think that and a lot of stories in in the in the book unpack that freeze flight and fight because those are the three you know biological responses and you'll see many threads in the in the book in the different responses to it as well mm.
4: and okay. also it happens
1: and it also happens
4: in stages pamela because at some stage like so my first thing was was to freeze and and then um i thought of you know, I would run away, but, you know, I then decided to fight, so you can actually go through all three, and I think that it's actually okay if you go through all three, so if you freeze in the moment that it happens, it's actually okay, and then if you decide after you've frozen that you're going to run away, you know, It's okay. And if you come back, even if it's a year later to fight, it's actually still okay, because it's okay to go through those emotions, because it's a cycle. So you can't just stay within one emotion. So, and I actually commend every single woman who stands up and says, I'm going to fight because then that's really taking your power back. And it gives you so much more when you decide you're going to fight it back, even if you're not going to fight that very person, but if you're going to fight for somebody else. And I saw my sister is actually watching this and she knows I did part of this. And after I started it, something happened. And the truth is that I am fighting for that person and my sister knows who it is. So I'm actually also just fighting for her. And I hope that she can get this recording and she'll get the book because we can't just sit and allow people and men to abuse us as women. And I mean, if you then go back again to social media, um, everybody was crying out about a man saying that he was being sexually molested by his partner. Somehow we can never agree to that, but I guess that's a story for another time. But the truth is that abuse is abuse, whether it is against a woman or it's against a man, because yeah. there are yeah. men that I know that have suffered with body shaming from women who would say, I would never date a man with a big stomach. I would never date a fat man or yeah. anything yeah. else. And that what it is. But it's just that abuse is abuse and it's not okay.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews. So head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast.